Good morning. Uh, I love Holly's reflection, and I thought uh, I'd gotten all of my tears out of the way first service, but evidently that's not the case because that song this morning, just like something about this idea of, I, I, it was my birthday this weekend and I, I turned 27 and, and 23 out of those 27 years of my life have been in this body and gathering of believers. Like the, this covenant group of people who, who love Jesus and are pursuing God with their whole hearts. Uh, and so when I think back on the generations that poured into the people that poured into me, like I, Jeremy Freeman, and I see Andy hiding up there, like my fourth and fifth grade Guys for God leaders uh, poured into me, and now I get to do the same with middle school students. And there's this like this progression of people that poured into Jeremy and, and people that poured into that person and poured into that person. And we get to join in this morning. Every time we gather with generation upon generation upon generation of faithfulness to who God is and how he's wanting to interact with us. And to me, that's a really special thing to be a part of, to know that when we come in this room, we don't come in this room as an isolated people. We come in this room as a people not only connected to the other believers that gather in this community, in this state, in this country, but around the world for generations and generations and generations past. And we get to join in with what God is doing. And that is special to me. That is special to me. And the same is true for this idea. We've been walking through the Bible in this series called Timeless, where we spend one week in every book of the Bible. And today we're in Deuteronomy. And the same is true for this, this series we've been walking through. For generation upon generation, we have gotten to experience and know who God is because of the truth of his word. And every week we get to come in here and see the God that created the universe and how, and learn how he's wanting to interact with us through the truth of, of this ancient book that is so important for us today. And, and again, that is special. Because we saw in Genesis that God, like Johnny said, God is the creator of everything. It all begins with God and God out of the overflow of his goodness and who he is. God said, I'm going to have a people and I'm going to reign in their midst. And I want the world to know my glory and grandeur. And so he chose a people. He said, you're going to be my representatives. For me, you're going to bear my image because the world was fallen the world had disobeyed God uh, as, uh, right after creation. And so as a part of that fallenness, there was a separation. And God said, I want you to be my representative so you can bear my image so the whole world can know my glory and my goodness. And that wasn't the perfect people. We see that time and time again, but we're reminded like Genesis 15, God said, I'm going to be faithful to this relationship. They had a covenant with one another, a deal saying, regardless of what happens here, we are committed to one another. We're committed to each other. And like I said, in Genesis 15, we get this cool picture of God saying, hey, people, you're never going to be able to fully fulfill your end of the covenant. Like you're just never gonna be able to do it because of the brokenness in your life. But even in the moments when you can't hold up your end of the deal, I'm gonna hold up your end of the deal for you. We see God's faithfulness displayed that way. And then we see even in sin, it starts to act out in Exodus. In, in, in Israel's sin, and the people of God's sin, they disobeyed. 
And God still made a way to deliver them from slavery. And then in Leviticus, he was like, okay, there's this broken relationship here, and I need, I, I need to bridge the gap because I love you so deeply. And so we see in Leviticus, as uh, interesting, boring, whatever you want to say that book might be, it's God making a way to be reunited with his people. And then in Numbers, we talked about it last week. Numbers, we see uh, God's people, part of the deal or the covenant that they had with one another was, hey, I'm going to bless you so that you can go and be a blessing to others. And so I'm going to give you a land to inhabit. I'll be your God. You'll be my people. We'll, we'll have a good thing. You'll be my representatives. And so in numbers, they're getting ready to enter into this land that God had promised them. And they didn't take God at his word. They didn't trust the creator of the universe and so God said, uh, with, my, uh, with this covenant we have come blessings, but there's also some negative repercussions. I, I'm, I'm going to be faithful. I'm never going to leave you. I'm going to fulfill it, the generation after you. But because this generation was unfaithful, because this generation didn't trust me, you guys aren't going to get to enter into the land that I've promised. And so Numbers is the story of the people of God wandering around in the middle of the desert, in the Middle East, uh, just waiting on an entire generation to die off so the new generation could enter into the land that he promised. And it's fascinating in Numbers because even in the midst of this generation that was unfaithful, as they were dying off, God provided ways in the middle of their disobedience to say, I'm still going to fulfill my end of the covenant. I'm not leaving you. I'm not taking off on you. And then we get to Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy is essentially just like a giant speech from a guy named Moses, who is kind of the leader of the people of Israel at this time. And Moses was a part of the generation that didn't get to enter because of some unfaithfulness to the covenant in his life. So he didn't get to enter into the land that was promised. And so in simplistic terms, they're, they're standing on one side of the Jordan, getting ready to cross over into the promised land and Moses can't go with them. And so he's like, this is what I'm gonna leave you with. This is Moses' final words to the people of Israel right before they move into what God had promised for them and received the blessing for that. And so that's the framework with which I want to understand the book of Deuteronomy this morning, that it's Moses uh, reaching out to, to God's people, giving them instructions before they enter into the promised land. So we're going to start in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12. And here's what Moses says. In now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? We should perk our ears up a little bit because if, again, God of the universe, Yahweh, creator of everything, uh, if he wants something from me, I don't want to displease him. Like I, I want to be on his team. He's clearly much better than me. And so I, I, that should perk our ears up a little bit to go, okay, well, let's listen. What does God want from us? He requires only that you fear the Lord your God, that you live in a way that pleases him and love him and serve him with all your heart and soul. And you must obey the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. Look, the highest heavens and the earth and everything in it all belong to the Lord your God. Yet the Lord chose your ancestors as the object of his love. 
And he chose you, their descendants, above all other nations, as is evident today. Therefore, change your hearts and stop being stubborn. Father, we invite you into this place. We invite you into this conversation this morning, knowing that uh, we cannot experience or know real change apart from the working of your Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our souls. And so we want to be open to that today. Uh, I just ask that this can be a place of grace and mercy, but it can also be a place of truth um, where we can know you fully and you can know us fully and we can be in right relationship with you, worshiping you uh, as the creator of the universe that you are. We love you deeply and commit this time to you and ask all these things in your precious and holy name. Amen. So what does God require of you? He starts out and says, Moses says, fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. And I think uh, when we start out that idea, we start out with this idea uh, of reverence, which I think is a really good starting point. That when we come into uh, the presence of God, we ought to have somewhat semblance of like reverence towards who he is. But I think it goes a little bit further than that. We've gotten so desensitized to who God is because he's so accessible that sometimes I think we forget the power and the majesty that he holds. So yes, it is reverence. But I think there's a lot of people who are much, much smarter than me that, that did a, a lot of work on translations. And so I think the, the word fear is a, is a really helpful word because we cannot forget where we stand in relationship to God. We are the created beings and he is the creator. And that should give us some sense of like, I have nothing. Psalm 16 says, I have nothing apart from you. I have no good thing apart from you, God. So God is the holder and the author of all life. And that should give us some pause before we just waltz into his presence. And yes, it's been made accessible through the work on the cross, but I don't want us to forget that God, what God requires of us is this fear of the Lord, understanding who we are in relationship to who he is. And Moses goes on to say, he also requires that you live in a way that pleases him. Another translation says, walk in his ways. Now us as, as Midwesterners and Americans, we like to bucket this a little bit. Like people shouldn't be telling us how to live my life. Just let me do my own thing and, and I'll worry about me and you worry about you and everyone will, will be okay. So who is this God guy that's coming in and telling me how to live my life? But the commandments of God were not meant to be given to us as handcuffs. We feel so restricted when God says like, I created the framework of the universe and I'm setting you off into it. And it's under these circumstances that life will go best for you. God's commandments aren't meant to be handcuffs, but instead they are meant to set us free into a life without guilt and a life without shame and a life of freedom, knowing who God is and experiencing the fullness of his blessing. Live in a way that pleases him. The next thing Moses says is you need to love him. You need to love the Lord your God. Now, what does this mean? What does this mean to love the Lord your God? The Hebrew word that's used here, um, the times that it's used in scripture, it has this implication that it's love in action. Love in action. 
it's love, this feeling that you have that's being motivated into doing something. And so the feeling isn't enough because God is so good and we've experienced his goodness so much that that, that experience in our life, the love we have for him, the feeling draws us into action. Look what it's surrounded by here in Deuteronomy 10. It says, fear the Lord, walk in his ways, serve the Lord, keep his commands, all action-oriented things. Love in action. And dare I say this morning, if you aren't doing these things, if you aren't doing these things that are drawn out of the love of the Lord, you don't actually love the Lord, you just say you do. Because real love of the Lord is love that is motivated into action. Then he says, serve him, surrendering your whole life to the mission and will of God, being willing to, to give up your own rights and your own desires to serve God. Then he reminds us, he says, uh, in verse 14, look, the highest heavens and the earth and everything in it, all of it, it all belongs to the Lord, your God. It's all his, which is a really incredible thing to think about. Like I know I said it a lot this morning, but he's the creator of the universe. It's all his. He holds it all in his hands. It says in Colossians, he's holding all things together. And here's why that's such an incredible thing. When we think about the fear of the Lord, we think about the God who everything is his and, and it, he's far above us. That's incredible when we look at verse 15. So it's all God's, yet the Lord chose your ancestors as the objects of his love. It's all God, yet the Lord chose your ancestors as the objects to receive the love of God. And we get to be a part of that. Like our faith, it started with Abraham. And I talked about the generations. It's been passed on from generation to generation to generation to generation. Because it says, and he chose you as their descendants, which is evident today. Like we can, Holly talked about looking around the room. We can look around the room and see the faithfulness and the love of God and how it has played itself out in each and every one of our lives. It's all God's, but he chose us to be the objects of his love. And then he says in verse 16, which is where I want to move us to today, therefore, change your hearts and stop being stubborn. Therefore, change your hearts and stop being stubborn. So what is it in your heart? What is it in your life that God is stirring you towards, that he's stirring your affections and moving your heart towards that you are unwilling to participate in? Because what I don't think Moses is saying here to the Israelites or to us is to stop being stubborn entirely. Because there are in fact a lot of things that we should have a certain stubbornness about us. So like Moses isn't saying like when someone uh, comes to you and says, well, like you shouldn't believe in God anymore. Like you just shouldn't believe he exists. 
And you're like, wow, Moses in Deuteronomy 10 told me to not be stubborn, so I should probably like flex on that a little bit, and, and I'm gonna be willing to change that. Or someone else comes to you and I'm like, and they're like, wow, you, you can have, like you don't have to be faithful to your wife because, and I know that's a belief that you hold, but you should be willing to like flex on that a little bit. You be, don't be so stubborn, Moses said it. Like God's not, Moses isn't asking us here to, to uh, just stop stubbornness altogether. But what I think he's talking about, especially in light of the generation that he's talking to, he's talking to the new generation, getting ready to enter into the promised land. He says, don't be stubborn. I think what he's talking about here are the, the willful, sinful things in our life that we know. Like we know, we, 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 God gave us a really good moral compass. I think for the most part, we know in our hearts, if God is prompting us to move towards something or do something, I think we know, and I think we know when we're being stubborn about those things. Because stubbornness at its core, when it's related to these things is sin because stubbornness is saying, I want the way that I prefer things over what God wants for this given situation. And I am unwilling to do anything about it. So we can be stubborn about things that aren't inherently sinful. Like, I think... I think there's a good chunk of us that God, God and James, through the book of James, tells us to move into like care for the widows and the orphans. And I think there's a good chunk of us that God is saying, move into, engage with the foster care system. Like go be a part of the mission of reconciliation. But if God isn't specifically prompting in your heart to go move towards that, you are not being stubborn. Like it's not sinful to not engage with that, but it is sinful if you feel that prompt in your heart to not move forward with that. And I think to understand this whole idea of stubbornness, we need to understand the difference between, uh, between these two fancy theological words. The first one is justification. When we are justified, we are made right in the eyes of God. So when God looks at us, he no longer sees our righteousness, but he sees the righteousness of Jesus that we took on as our own. We claim the blood of Jesus over our life, and we say, like, I, I, want, I want God to see Jesus when he looks at me. And from that point forward, your eternity is set. You get to spend eternal life with God forever and ever and ever. And that is the moment that you are justified. And so many of us have engaged in that. And we celebrate that. That is a wonderful thing. But on the flip side, our life and our walk with Jesus doesn't stop at this idea of justification or being saved. There's a whole other process that we call sanctification. And this idea of sanctification is this idea of being made and formed and molded to look more like the image of God to bear his image in this dark and broken world. That when someone looks at us, the older we get, the more we look like Jesus. And I think so many of us have engaged in this process of justification where we are made right in the eyes of God, but we have failed or lacked to engage in this process of sanctification where we were refined through situations and through whatever it may be, where we end up looking more like Jesus. 
And it's the difference between John 3.16, like he came to give you everlasting life, and that is true, and that is hopeful, and John chapter 10, where Jesus says, I came to give you life and life abundant. God's people, the, the older generation, they, they passed away in the wilderness as the people of God. Like they were, because of their relationship with God, I, I believe because of how God worked, I believe we are going to see and know that older generation for eternity. But they missed out on a blessing that was on the other side of their stubbornness. They were unwilling to trust God for who he was and unwilling to take God at his word. And even though he had this incredible blessing of a land that he promised for them, they missed out on it. And I don't want us to miss out on the blessing and the abundant life that God has for us because it's on the other side of our stubbornness. And we say, yeah, I've been justified. Yeah, I've put my faith in Jesus, but we never are willing to go through this process of being refined and sanctified to look more like the image of God. Let me share with you a story from, uh, from my life that over the past couple of years, I've gone through uh, a process of, of sanctification and the process of sanctification is lifelong. Like it, it is your whole life being moved and formed. And so what I've experienced these past couple years is God working in my heart through my stubbornness to move me into an abundant and blessed life on the other side of this. So I know it sounds cheesy, I know it sounds goofy, and I really had to process what God did in my heart through it. But two years ago, Jordan was, was really unhealthy. And I don't wanna to claim today that I'm a, a picture of health, but I do want to tell you guys about the journey that I went on. So uh, a couple years ago, Amanda and I have been married almost seven years, and our whole marriage, she's just been so kind and gracious, but also like pointing me towards Jordan, I don't think you're taking this seriously and how you're living now, how you're eating, how you're doing all these sort of things is not a, a sustainable thing for the rest of your life. And so we, we wa started walking into this process as like, oh, Jordan's really unhealthy and he needs to get healthy so he can see Miles and Hudson grow up. But what was revealed to me as, as really the Holy Spirit worked in my heart through this process was that the, the way I viewed food was in place of how I should view God. So if I was stressed, if I was tired, if I was angry, if I was anxious, if I was worried, those are the moments where I turn to my ultimate comfort and hope, food. And Amanda, so graciously and so kindly, and the Holy Spirit, so graciously and so kindly were prompting me and prompting me. I knew it was a change I needed to make. I knew it was something that I was like, I need to address this sin issue. Again, it was a sin issue in my life. It wasn't just like, a, oh, you might die early or sort of thing. It was a sin issue. My heart was not right with God about this issue in my life but I was so stubborn that I wouldn't change it. 
And so finally I had to hit rock bottom. There was like a serious moment. Amanda and I were out on a date that I thought I was having like a real medical emergency. And it took that like bottom of the barrel of stubbornness in order to move into what God had for me. And so the past two years has been banner years of growth, not like throw all the health stuff aside. It has been such a banner year of, of growing to know who God is, growing in discipline, undergoing this process of sanctification, all because I had to get to a place of humility to say, God, I am going to let the Holy Spirit work in my heart. I'm going to stop being stubborn. I'm going to change my heart so the Holy Spirit can take me into the blessing of abundant life. Now, there are so many, so many more things that have to be refined out of me. I am constantly on my way. I am never a finished product, but by God's grace, I will continue to let the Holy Spirit work in my heart and work in my soul to, so I get to the point where, where I look more like Jesus. So at 30, I look more like Jesus than I do today. At 40, I look more like Jesus than I do then. Just constantly looking more and more like Jesus. Don't get so focused on the everlasting life that we miss the blessing and the fullness of the abundant life that God has for us here and now. I want to, with great grace, share some examples of what this might look like in your life, what you're holding on to in your heart that you might be, stu be being stubborn about, that you're unwilling to, uh, to change. You know the Holy Spirit's prompting you. You know the Holy Spirit's working in your life, but you're unwilling to do anything about it. Maybe there's a risk that the Holy Spirit's been prompting you to take that you are unwilling to do. Maybe it's sharing your faith with a coworker or with a, another student at school. Whatever it may be, there's a there's a risk that God's asking you to take that you're just like, I don't want any part of that. And he's been working on your heart for a long time. And you're like, I just don't know if I can do it. Don't be stubborn, experience the blessing. Maybe you're being stubborn about a friend who, who maybe really did hurt you several years ago and you haven't talked to this friend in a long time and you do the 2020 thing of being like, I'm cutting toxic people out of my life. But instead scripture is pointing us to reconciliation and forgiveness. What would it look like for you to, to, to humble yourself in your heart and to stop being stubborn and say, okay, I'm gonna seek reconciliation, even though this hurts, but I know God's prompting me to do this. Maybe you have a habit in your life that you're holding on to that you know, you know you scroll too much, you know you watch TV too much, you know it's not glorifying to who God is. You know it's not reflecting his goodness and his grandeur for the whole world to see, but you're so stubborn that you're not willing to give it up. And I'm begging you, don't miss out on the blessing that God has for you because your blessing is on the other side of your stubbornness. We're sitting outside the promised land that God has for us and we're content because we're unwilling to move past that. As, uh, as the team comes back up, I wanna, I wanna close this. Moses gave a plea to the people of Israel. And I think it's so, so good for us today to be reminded of. 
as, I, as, I'm, as I'm pointing us towards this idea of this abundant, blessed life, knowing the fullness of God working in your life here and now. And yes, eternal life is a great hope. And I don't want to minimize that, but we can experience a blessed life. Here's what Moses says. He says, now listen, today I'm giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. For I command you this day to love the Lord your God and to keep his commands, decrees, regulations by walking in his ways. If you do this, you will live and you'll multiply and the Lord your God will bless you and the land you're about to enter and occupy. But if your heart turns away and you refuse to listen, and if you're drawn away to serve and worship other gods, then I warn you now that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live a long, good life in the land you're crossing the Jordan to occupy. And here's how Moses closes it. He says, today, on February 9th, 2020, today, I'm giving you the choice between life and death, between blessing and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life. so that you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him and committing yourself firmly to him. This is the key to your life. And if you love and obey the Lord, you will live long in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Here's what I'm asking of you today. You have an opportunity to step into the blessings of an abundant life with God because your blessing is on the other side of your stubbornness. And so here's, I want us to stand as we come.